Welcome to Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. The real, relevant, necessary conversations to help you navigate coaching, teaching, learning, and life. Coaches, welcome in. It is season two, episode eight. And as promised, we have a guest. And this is actually like our first official non-EC affiliated guest. So uh, Kip, without further ado, welcome to the pod. Kip Ione. Man, I'm honored, guys. I'm, I'm honored to be on here, not just because of the, the nature of being one of the first guests outside of the fam, but I, I just love talking to y'all. I always have. I feel smarter. I sometimes feel dumber, which I think we need to do more often is put ourselves in spaces. We are we are not the genius we think we need to be. And you two always make me feel smart and dumb at the same time and friendly about it. So I love that about y'all. If only social media was like that all the time, right? right? We just could could have reasonable discourse like we've had. I think I think we jumped on at uh at three. Eastern. It is now well, we got three time Eastern. zones here. So yeah, you yeah, we got three time, time zones going on right now. So for the last hour and a half, we should have hit record an hour and a half ago. Uh, and we were just saying this that you know some of that may may or may not be able to be published. But as we said, you're only adding to the noise if you choose not to tell the truth. And so back at you, Kip. Like this has been a long time coming. I think we the three of us met uh, back in 2020 on a on a shared experience that shall remain nameless and from there i think our our friendships have just sort of blossomed both individually and collectively i got to come out last year and spend some time with your program which was amazing just to be around you and and see how you work and get to know more about how teams of men works which we're going to talk about today um and then you know obviously just always the interaction on social and and calling you and be like hey you'll never guess what happened today those might be my favorite conversations, actually, because there's like this, these like five minutes where we both have this mini like reaction. And then we're like, all right, let's be rational about this and just see where we can right. go. with. Um, well, I but, hope you and Kyle get a trade happy stories. And I appreciate you letting me vent to you. And Kyle gets some of my Sunday frustration texts about the Cowboys because he's one of only like two people in my life that actually are a Cowboys fan. So he has to share that burden that me and my son are. But I hope you guys share some happiness because Asim and I are always mad. <laughs> That's probably an us thing. No, we share plenty of happiness. We share plenty of happiness. It's, uh, you know, that's why we do the pod. It's fairly therapeutic. That's right. Uh, for for us in, in general. But no, it's 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 all good. Like this is, I think, one of the um, the things that I've been looking forward to is just being able to have a reasonable conversation, I think, about healthy manhood and coaching. And especially for the three of us, having all been through now, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, having been let go from jobs and from the standpoint of being men who coach and being husbands. And, you know, the two of you are fathers. I'm not a father yet. And just even having that sort of outlook and, and, you know, things cross our desks all the time, right? Things cross our desks all the time where we're dealing with this idea of what coaching should be and what it's not. And like, everybody's got a freaking opinion, Kyle, right? Like everybody has an opinion and most of them are wrong. Like, just let's say what it is. Like most of them are, it's not their fault, but it's the narrative of, of what coaching has so, sort of had to become. And like, Oh, they're being hard on their players. And we'll get to all of that. I just, I'm really glad 
we found the time uh, to do this um, because all three of us have very, very different schedules on three different time zones with multiple, multiple responsibilities. So this was the only time that I think Jupiter, Saturn, Mars, and the sun aligned. Uh, so we're going to go for it. But season two, episode eight, we'll start with our, uh, as we always do, um, our, our athlete shout outs. And so as our guest, Kip, you get to go first. And uh, I know I called your athlete in the pre-show, but go for it. You know, sometimes it's okay to be predictable, right? You'd be consistent. And I'll consider myself loyal. But number eight's Troy Aikman. It's the only number eight that matters. Uh, I had a I had a really awesome childhood as a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. My eighth grade through senior year, dynasty, triplets, Troy, all about it. Now, the best part about that, and Kyle, you probably know some of this, is I got to watch him evolve because he got his ass whipped early and often as a cowboy. But once Jimmy came in and Michael evolved and all those things, you got to grow with them. Uh, so mine's absolutely Troy Aikman, six-time Pro Bowl, Super Bowl MVP, Hall of Fame inductee, um, and all damn good announcer. I like Troy Aikman as an announcer. I, I, I do love the Manning cast, but I'll go back and forth probably because I feel loyalty to Joe and Troy, and they don't know me. But I feel loyalty. they got to give a balance between Eli and Peyton. So Troy Aikman's mine. Hey, if they don't know you by now, they're going to know because they are listeners of Essential Coaching Conversation. <laughs> be like, Who's this Kip guy? We need to get to know him. Uh, yeah, no, that's, yeah, I feel outnumbered gentlemen. I, as the lone, probably commanders fan in the world at this point, um, and very, and when I say fan very, very loosely, the fact that I'm having it, I never thought my life would come to this, that I would be on this platform called zoom. First of all, when we were growing up, this didn't even exist. I'd be on this platform called Zoom with two diehard Cowboys fans and pretend that they were my friends. Are you kidding? Like, <laughs> absolutely not. I never thought I would be friends with two Cowboys fans, let alone once. Anyway, anyway, Kyle, go for it. Who's your athlete for this week? Yeah, I had a feeling Kip was going to go Troy. Certainly not wrong uh, there, but I won't give, I won't double up the Cowboy dose uh, for you, Asim. This one was really difficult because I've got a couple of, of, tiebacks to kind of local and tech, but I'm going to go with Albert Bell. All right. Albert Bell born from street in Shreveport, Louisiana, the pride of Huntington high school. He was a Huntington Raider. Um, only knock against him was he went to LSU, but uh, had an incredible, had an incredible career at LSU and actually enjoy watching him play baseball at LSU um, while he was there. And then obviously uh, a really great run with the um, Indians uh, when he was, in the majors and uh, he's had a year with the white Sox, and then with somebody, I think it was the Orioles um, is how he finished up, but um, all-star silver slugger. Uh, I think he led the league in uh, home runs one year, but he's just one of those guys like thinking about being like a, a local high school coach. He's the guy you want to have on your team, right? He was like top five in his class academically. He was an Eagle scout. Um, he was, uh, like an FBLA guy, um, and, and national junior honor society and was just like a stud on, you know, the, the, the field. And just, he's one of those guys that you, you hope you get a chance to be around somebody like that once in your career. Um, and it was, it was really great being from that area, hearing about Albert Bell growing up and watching him in the major leagues. And, and of course we've talked a lot about our, um, our affinity for nineties baseball. 
um, which was why it was really hard to not go with Cal Ripken um, because that's another like throwback to just watching if he was going to play or not while he was trying to break that streak. So I'm cheating a little bit by throwing two names in, but I'm going to go with the Albert Bell episode. So you had a prediction for who my athlete was going to be. Did you think I was going to choose Cal Ripken? No. Because I almost did. Yeah. Being, no, being so. a, a growing up a Baltimore Orioles fan. That's why I gave you the thumbs up when you mentioned the Orioles with Albert Bell. Um, but I did get to go see Cal Ripken Jr. play when, uh, when he was in the midst of his Ironman streak, like towards the end of it. Um, awesome. And Cal Ripken was the man. Like He was everywhere growing up. But I, uh, I am genuinely curious, and I'll, you can tell me after I say who I'm about to say for my athlete. I'm going to go with Alex Ovechkin. You got it? He guessed it. I knew it. I knew it. I should have gone with Cal Ripken. Yeah. The the great eight. I mean, how can you not, right? Like being a Washington sports fan. We've been doing this for a while now with these these athlete uh, shout outs. And this is the first time Kyle's ever guessed mine. And I've never guessed his. Um, Yeah, no, got to go with the greatest goal scorer of all time. Alex Ovechkin. Now he got one Stanley Cup, yes? Yes, one, one Stanley Cup. He got just one. one. Just one. Many, many flame outs, but he got the one, so he's certified. Yeah, now. Yes, he's the certified. On of how we do this. Okay. Correct. Yeah, he's, listen, he's no Charles Barkley, right? Like, Charles Barkley's the greatest player to never win a ring. Alex Ovechkin's the greatest player to ever win one. Um, that's how we're going to classify him. At some point, ESPN Stats and Info is going to come up with some crazy, like, story about Alex Ovechkin being the only player to do this and win one Stanley Cup. Um, but yeah, I mean, greatest goal scorer of all time. I grew up watching like, you know, Peter Bondra and Adam Oates and those guys on the caps. And like, they were the hometown heroes. Like everybody loved them. If you loved hockey in Washington, it was those guys. And then they draft this kid out of Russia. And they're like, this guy is the next big thing. And whenever you hear that, right, we have all heard that on our sports teams. Dak Prescott was supposed to be the next big thing. Ezekiel Elliott was supposed to be the this next guy, big thing. He had to bring you know, in Dak. And I, he, I had to. Yeah, no, I, I mean, Shout listen, out hot in high school. Yeah, right. So, but Alex Ovechkin leg- legitimately was the next big thing. And he has been for the longest time. So, Kyle, you win uh, the, the bet that we never made. It's one I nothing. figured that's who it was going to be. Uh, but yeah, I can't not mention my guy, Alex Ovechkin. I, uh, I had a, a very good feeling that it was going to be, I had thought about Ripken, but Washington Capitals, I know you've mentioned him before. So I was like, I bet a seam is going with Ovi. Um, so let me just tell you this though. Okay. In all honesty, I refrained it's talking about the Cowboys. I refrained from picking Mark Brunel who lit y'all up on that one Monday night football game where he set the record for most completions in a row in NFL history. So I refrained from making this the Mark Brunel episode. I will have you both know I appreciate that. that. I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate that. that. So I should have picked him. I went against my better judgment, as I always do. Uh, all right. So the would you rather, and this is exactly what we are talking about today. So it's the perfect segue. And this is actually brought to you by Kip. Um, would you rather calm Trent Dilfer down on the sideline or convince Mario Cristobal to just take a knee? I'll go first. I'll take Trent Dilfer. Because, A, I, 
I probably could just walk away and eventually he'll fizzle out. Mario Cristobal has never taken a knee. So I would literally have to convince him to do that for the first time ever. And I feel like telling Trent to calm down would be a lot more likely to succeed than a guy who just in his DNA can't take a knee. Mm. Mm. Fair enough. Kip, thoughts? Can I cheat on this? Okay. I'm, I'm going to say I want to be on the headsets. One of the things I'm jealous about football coaches is they get the headsets, right? We have no equivalent on the mm. hardware. On the headsets, as Kyle tries to rationally explain to Coach Cristobal why he should kneel. I want to be just there. I want that. But I think I would pick Dilfer too, similar reasons. But I also think the moment where if I could succeed in calming him down and being like, what are you doing? Might be able, we could do more good with showing a coach recognize his rage is stupid than we could behind the scenes getting a knee and beating Georgia Tech. So that's that's probably what I would go with. I'm going to be the lone dissenting opinion here solely for the theater of it. Kyle, you're right. You could just walk away from Trent Dilfer and he would eventually tire himself out, much like a toddler does when they just cry themselves to sleep, right? Trent Dilfer is basically a toddler. I think it would be fascinating to just engage in the conversation with Mario Cristobal and just keep asking him why, like a toddler does, right? And be like, but Mario, why? We're going to win the game. Isn't the point to win the game? Do you want your legacy to be? Why? Why are you doing that? And I think that to me, especially if there was no imminent threat of like physical harm, I would just like, I would love to engage him in that conversation and try to convince him that taking the knee to win the game is more important than his ego to run the ball because we play through the final whistle. Like we create the final whistle. We are playing through the final whistle, right? The victory formation is a formation for a reason, Mario. Use it. It's in your playbook. It's like the first thing we practice on the first day of training camp is getting our victory formation right. Unless you don't have that in your playbook, in which case I don't know how to help you. But we can we can certainly put that in. Um, so I will See, that go answer with, makes me feel like Asim, you are texting my children and telling them to just keep asking me why with all of my decisions about the house. I think that now I'm on to them. You are yeah. the source because <laughs> hey, I'm getting a lot of whys in my life. It's but the yeah, IY why. generation, Kip. They have to know why. Isn't that what every great coach is going to tell you? Oh uh, yeah, we explain the why to them here. Oh, do you? Oh, do you? That was so 20 years ago, my man. Like, you got – let's evolve. Let's evolve. Um, speaking of evolving, so you, you were talking in the, the – obviously, we, we sort of have um, – we made the would you rather pertinent to the topic for today and why we've brought you on to help talk about some of this piece of healthy manhood, specifically men – in the football, in the basketball, sort of these high-profile spaces, acting like children. Um, shout out to Adrian Mills, who called it from last week, uh, that the best line from the pod was Trent Dilfer being a Dilfer. How do we stop? How do we stop these? And we're going to speak specifically about men, but I think it's sort of transitioned to everybody because that's the modeling from football coaches, the modeling from basketball coaches for the longest time has been that. 
And for the longest time, it has been men that have been the leaders of these teams, quote, and I say leaders in quotes, have been the leaders of these teams, have been the influencers of sport culture. Um, there's some of that, the aspect of like military culture and, fr- and fraternity culture. And we talked hazing last week, and that was a big sort of lead into this too, of sort of these rites of passage in healthy manhood and coaches having these bad habits of just like, to me, I wrote this down, I'm reading off my sheet here, but like this, this idea of like intensity versus foolishness. Like at what point does intensity cross the border into foolishness? But I, I'm going to throw it to you guys. You know, we'll obviously Kyle and I have a ton of questions for you, but this is really like, we want to hear from you. People are sick and tired of hearing our voice all the time. Let's invite a new voice into this conversation. Um, take it, take it away wherever you want to start from there. And we'll just shape the conversation. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys' platform, and I, I love being brought in on this topic because it does it um, it angers me. You know, it it angers me to the point that I have to reflect on. I can't meet anger and rage displays on the sideline with more anger from myself. So I'm not going to yell and scream. But I, I think number one in this, we're dealing with performative actions towards. You could probably call it the coach box because what I do in my job with teams of men. Um, and we're middle school through power five basketball team, football teams, is we go in and try to enlighten coaches and players to, hey, you know what? Some of the decisions, some of the behaviors you're choosing that are causing harm to others and yourself are rooted in you trying to perform to this man box, which tells you you need to conquer everything, which tells you you need to remove all emotional fluency from your life. You need to try to dominate women, other men, sports, money, and everything else that you can be measured by. And that is the limit of who you can be as a man. So that's what we try to do. We try to go into teams and help coaches build normal space to, guys, I'm right here with you. I've been socialized to this man box, and I don't want us as a team to exist this way. And so that's what we do. But when I watch these coaches, I feel like there's an added layer, and maybe it's another barrier around the man box, where they've been convinced that passion is an excuse for poor behavior. You know what? I give a shit. I care so much about winning that I am going to berate, degrade, and not even, not just my players. I'm going to debase myself in the eyes of everyone else watching because my passion excuses it or the standard is the standard. Um, and those things, I think it's entirely rooted in we don't hold them accountable for these things. We excuse it. And coaches themselves are unwilling, like many men, including myself for a long time, unwilling to unlearn things about ourselves. Like, let me discard this aspect of me and maybe onboard something new or just be freer, lighter and more easily movable as a person without this constraint of I need to puff puff my chest out, scream till I'm red in the face. And that will equal change in behavior for my players, because you guys know this better than anybody. That is not that's not a human component. They're not robots. The child there, in this case with Dilfer, it was his own staff that he you would think would have hired because of his respect and belief in their abilities as coaches. And for him to I mean, I I shudder to think, even though I do not know this man, I've listened to him plenty on the ringer when he was on with Brasillo all those years. And I'm sure he has a high football IQ. I wonder what is the carryover with emotional agility or lack thereof in the game? to pressure situations in your life. And I worry about that for all our young men and ourselves. What is the translation if sport is life and sports is educating people for life? Where are those same failures without reflection, without amendments, where are those showing up in our life? 
because there is no version of life where you're allowed or able to explode like that. And it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. No matter, it might release what you feel. There's no way exploding on your partner, on your children, on a coworker, on a friend, on a brother. There's no way that level of explosion and loss of emotional fluency or even values aligned behavior. Because I know I've heard Trent Dilfer speak. He's a quote unquote God-fearing man that I'm sure does have high moral beliefs about himself. There's no way that's aligned with your values when you behave that way. So, I mean, obviously we're going to go on and on, but I think it starts with what is the, we got to ditch the excuses. Winning is not an excuse to berate because what are we willing to cut off? What are we willing to sacrifice for the scoreboard? And then we have to onboard learning in emotional fluency. So you talk about this unlearning, and I think, Kyle, you and I have mentioned unlearning a million times on the pod. Part of my my frustration with unlearning as far as it goes with coaches, I think there's there's two things, and, and one of them, we'll get to the emotional agility piece here in a second. One of them is, for the longest time, this is what we've just seen on TV. And what we've seen from, you know, generations of coaches where this is passed down as the gospel, right? So Trent Dilfer says he's a God-fearing man. He's a Christian. He's all of these things. So he believes in some sort of gospel there. Similarly, this is the gospel of coaching. You have to be hard on them. You can't let it slip. I'm not yelling at you. I, like, don't listen to my tone. Listen to the message. We're asking the the victims of all this stuff to do a lot of heavy lifting, right? So, excuse me, when we do that, we've already created an environment where I am not going to take the time as the coach to unlearn anything. It's up to you to adjust to what I am doing because it's my program. Now, in the pre-show, we were talking about, in a far different context, but it's a similar idea, you don't need that horns, zoom, flip, fade, whatever, when you're coaching the JV team on a Tuesday, you're not coaching in the Eastern Conference Finals. Similarly to that, the way this trickles down, and the reason we need to talk about it, not just because of people like Trent Dilfer, Fran McCaffrey, you know, any of these other people, but we see it on the sidelines with with kids all the time. Like just your random kid who's playing AAU basketball or who's playing volleyball or who's playing football or whatever, because that's what's modeled from the highest level. Societally then for men, especially men who coach sports, girls or boys, doesn't matter. That emotional agility is affecting, like their lack of emotional agility at the top is affecting everybody sort of quote unquote below them who's modeling their behavior after the people at the top. So what do we got? Like, how do we help people unlearn? That seems like a massive task, no? So yeah, the, I mean, the, oh no, go ahead, Kyle. You go. No, 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 you go ahead. You go ahead. I'll jump in later. I was, I think it's something you guys are so good at. And, and one of the reasons I, I hope everybody listening is, is sharing your pod with people is going past the surface and assigning value to what really is affecting outcomes people want. And too often, I think coaches at the lower levels are not truly embodying the rocker process you guys do every Monday and, and, and talk about on the pod and really looking at why is X and Y, Z happening? And is it because the coach got red faced? 
When would I be red-faced? Most likely when I'm frustrated and out of answers. And all I have left is this energy of rage. And I'm not even, like, I don't even use emotional control anymore because I, I know I'm not, I'm not always in control. But if I'm, a, if I'm a, if I have agility and fluency, I can name it, express what I'm feeling inside. Like I just told the story, like this is not in the same vein of stress that a Trent Dilfer would experience being at Alabama, right? But if I'm watching the Cowboys, that this happened yesterday, got their ass whipped, and I know in that environment, I can name frustration from the lack of control I have with my favorite team. I can name the embarrassment I'm going to feel after having many text threads with other people. And I know that my son is going to feel the same way without the same amount of experience in knowing it's coming and where do I release, right? The Dead Sea is dead because it doesn't have outflow. It has all inflow, no outflow. Human beings are the same. And if we wait too long, we explode out of those confinements and the people in our wake feel the harm and effect. So too many of these coaches, I think, are copying the end of the process that somebody's winning with. But the end of the process is really a reflection of I'm out of ideas, answers, strategies. And I don't think we want to copy the helplessness stage. So that's where I would start with. And second, just because I was coached that way doesn't mean I'm successful because of how I was coached. I might be where I'm at today, no matter where it is, whether you're in athletics or whatever you're doing, despite the horrible methods that were used to coach me. I might have survived horseshit principles of coaching, and I keep assigning my resiliency, I keep assigning my success to the coaching, but really I should probably give myself some more credit that I had. I was resilient enough to survive it. Not I didn't thrive because of it. So the, the things that I wrote down here, you mentioned high IQ, like you go watch these coaches in these clinics, right? And we really sort of nerd out on the Manning cast and, you know, these, these things that give us this look inside and we want to hear what a play call sounds like. We want to hear what the huddle is like. We want to hear what's on the sidelines. And these people are so smart. And we were talking about like this, you know, coaches that have these really complex systems that not just anybody can play in and how for some reason that's considered to be revered. And so we talk a lot about high IQ, like high football IQ, high basketball IQ, high top of the pyramid IQ. But what that typically will lend to is very low IQ on the other end, very low EQ, very low emotional and social intelligence. I'm a brainiac when it comes with to, you know, a board and a marker in my hand, but I still have to be able to get that in relayed to a bunch of people who don't have IQ like I do. So let's say that the coach is a genius. And most coaches, relatively speaking to who they're coaching, probably are, you know, I, I don't like the term expert or genius necessarily, but they're definitely further down that spectrum than than most people, right? Most people sitting in the stands. Most people on a message board, most people on social media, and chances are most people that they're coaching because most of us are coaching 12 to 18 year old kids and even into to college age, right? And there's still a lot of learning that has to take place there. So we are revering them for what we are considering this expert level of knowledge, which really it's, it's just relative to who you're around. So it doesn't necessarily make you an expert. and It doesn't necessarily make you a genius. 
but you are you are then tasked with taking the quote unquote dumber people in the room who are the ones who actually have to go out and fulfill this genius plan that you have. And so therefore your expertise and your high IQ isn't then related to the amount of stuff that you know. It's how you're going to be able to get them to translate that into action, to be able to make decisions. And this leads to a great conversation about, you know, decision making and, and, and you know, game sense approach and all of those kinds of things that we all could sit here and kind of nerd out a little bit. But even if you don't want to hand a lot of that decision making power over to your athletes, let's say you're trying to control every every single thing that they do. You then tell on yourself by the amount of frustration and the amount of anger and quote unquote passion and red face that you have when they don't do what you're telling them to do. And if you aren't allowing them to make those decisions, then what you're ultimately doing is telling on yourself because it's your decision at that point. And they're just not executing it in a way that you see fit or the other coach has got, you know, his kids are out executing you. And it, it really has been this amazing thing that when we talk about this stuff over these last couple of years is really how much of this is we, the adult in the room, exposing what we don't know and exposing what we can't do. And we'll sit here and we will create a highlight video of kids season to end in the name of bad body language and plaster it all over Twitter. But we won't, we, we never see that from the coach's perspective. We never see the body language. The, it's always passion. It's always they care more than that, whatever. And so when, when you said high IQ, that's where my head went, was high IQ, low EQ, low social intelligence, low emotional intelligence. And, and it doesn't mean that they're ignorant or, or dumb in those ways, but maybe we're just not prioritizing those things. And we feel like we're trying to rush to the end, as you said a minute ago. Like All we do is see the end product of, well, when Brad Stevens was taking his kids to Butler, this is what they ran. So if I run this, I'm Brad Stevens. No. Or you see Bill Belichick have years and years and years of success. Greatest run, you know, in professional or college sports history, arguably. But then you lose a Tom Brady and all of a sudden you're getting beat 69 to 10 in two straight weeks. You know, was it was it Bill Belichick or was it Tom Brady? Sean Payton can't beat the Jets with Russell Wilson, who's not exactly a slouch. But when Sean Payton had Drew Brees, things were a little bit different. Pete Carroll had Russell Wilson. They're going to Super Bowls. So in, in, in some of this, which causes for more nuanced conversation, which I just don't think people want to take the time to have, is that a lot of it is circumstance. A lot of it is luck. A lot of it is being in the right place at the right time. A lot of it is we're pretty good, but luckily for us, everybody else is a little bit worse. And we might actually be a better team next year, but everybody else is just that much better than we are. So it looks like I'm doing a bad coaching job. When in reality, the worst coaching job I did was the year we won a bunch of games, just because that was the year we stayed healthy and we got lucky. And, and all of these things, all of this entropy that is floating around us that we have almost zero control over 
is ultimately factoring into the result of all of this. So then what do we get coaches doing? Well, they say they don't care about results. We're process oriented. We're progress over perfection. We're 1% better. We're all of these things. But then we sit here and we ream out our assistant coach, not because of the process, but because of the result of what that was. And, and, and in, you know, to Mario Cristobal's not defense, I guess, but if that kid doesn't fumble, we don't talk about this. It wasn't necessarily the decision. It was the result of the decision. It's usually not the play call that's bad. It's the result of the play call or the execution of the play call or the other dude on the other end of the line just happened to make a play. And so we get, we get this microscope and the benefit of hindsight being 2020 to sit back as an armchair quarterback or a keyboard warrior on a message board somewhere and dissect everybody's decision, but you're not the one having to make those in real time. And I, I feel like that right there is probably where a lot of that frustration comes from when you're on the sideline, because you as a coach are the only person who knows how much time you're putting into this. I hate it when somebody's like, well, they just don't want to win. Of course the coach wants to win. Every coach I've ever known is a little different. We're a little, you're a little screwed up in the head. You're a little, you're wired just a little bit different. You've got to be, you've got to be that way in order to want to go to work like that every single day. So in order to say like, oh, this coach doesn't want to win now, or oh, they're, you know, they're doing this or they're lazy or whatever. No, we get frustrated because of the things that we can't control because this pie in the sky vision of what we have is not coming to fruition like we thought it was going to. And then ultimately we end up being hashtag least committed in the room because we can't stick to the principles that we're forcing upon our 14, 15, 18, 22 year old, or, you know, even 30 year old professional athletes at the end of the day. Kyle, you know what I really thought about when you were such a good framing by you, if the best thing I do, and I know I wasn't able to embrace this claim until later on in my 14 years as a head coach at NCAA D3. If the best thing I do is human connection, if the best thing I do as a coach, and you guys are you guys are so good at the human connection and the ways to go about it, where is my value? Where do I stick my chest out? Because I'm in the coach box and I can only puff my chest out with my peers with W's or the best thing I do is my scheme. The best thing I do is my play. The best thing I do is my record. So then if that's the best thing I do, not human connection, connecting with players, the best thing I do is my one, two, two zone. The best thing I do is my yada, yada, yada defense, right? When you F it up as a player, you are insulting me. You are taking away from what I am. And that's going to lead me into berating you. Like, like you said, like if it's, if, if I'm just about like what I had to come to grips with, you know what I'm pretty good at? Making the men in my my locker room feel seen and giving them space to grow. God, I got it. I have to deal with personally the scoreboard. I've got to figure out how to deal with that and process it and find ways to live with it. But I'm damn good at connecting with young men. I mean, I don't think a lot of dads are signing up. And once again, this is not malicious intent of all men, but I think we sign up to be coaches of 12 year olds because we want the whistle, we want the whiteboard, we want to run plays. If we framed it to them like, hey, man, you got this 12-year-old flag football team, we need somebody to grow their emotional fluency. You're going to get crickets in the volunteer room. 
We need someone to coach the football team and call plays. There's a long-ass line. But really, we know, we all know, the most important thing you can do for that 12-year-old team is connect and give them reps in failure and make them want to come back again the next year. But you might tell yourself that I need to be Mike McDaniel with a high-flying offense. So I I love your framing, and it made me think of that because I know I didn't embrace who I was until five, six years into it. And I could say, no, you should send your kid to play to me for me because I actually am pretty good at growing his decision-making process. But it was hard for me not to say, well, we lead the league in scoring. So that's me. That's Kip, 83 points a game. Woo! So no, it's – go ahead. Sorry, Kyle. You got no, I was going to say, I, I felt that same thing going at after the first year at Simsboro. We led the state in, in scoring. I think we were, we were number one in total points, and I think we were one or two in, like, average. And the next year it was like, well, how do we become better? Like, how do we, I want to lead the nation in point. Like, what do we do? Like, we had the, we had the, the environment to actually do that. And going into second year of that system, and it was kind of like, well, Coach K is the one that did that. I'm the one that did that. And ultimately, that's what led, and I've, I've shared this story a thousand times, but me getting called out by a player about 12 to 14 games into our season that following year, where I want to say, or I want to, I think we were 14 and one at the time in that second year that I was there. And that was the night I got the text message from Gianni, who was basically like, you need to stop being an a-hole. This is not fun. We're 14 and one. And it felt like we were losing because it was more about like my offense and scoring points. And we would put up 82, but we should have put up 92. And I was mad. You know, we would score 101. And I'm like, but we should have scored 112. Like we were leaving points out there and got so fixated on the wrong things. And Again, I like I go back and I credit G and the the players for talking about that for calling me out on that because ultimately I think that's what set our course correct, you know, for that season and ultimately saved our season to get us back to focusing on the things that actually mattered. And I I remember thinking that in that moment, but obviously after years of reflecting on it, I know I I I see that much more clearly now because I'm not in the 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 minutia of it, right? Like you kind of get out of that. But I think, and something else the same and I have talked about quite a bit that, you know, once, once you're told, Hey, you don't coach here anymore. That is like the most eye opening thing in the world to force that reflection upon you. And it it's the worst day of your professional career, but the worst day of your professional career leads to the best day of your professional career at some point. Right. And you, you, I think it helps getting let go, and I won't speak for everybody on the call, but I think it helps you get past a lot of the fear because the biggest fear you have is getting let go. And then once that happens, you realize like, that wasn't, that's terrible. Like it's bad in the moment, but it's like, no, I survived that. Like I came out of the other side and I'm actually a lot better for it. And I wouldn't, I'm not coaching right now. and. I don't even know if I would want to kind of where my head space is now, but I think if I ever got into it, like I, I want to hope anyway, that I wouldn't be worried about the scoreboard things like you're talking about the next go round, because you realize how ultimately not important those things are. And if we are trying to use sport to prepare us for life, as you said, where, where are the elements in real life? What we see in sport between the lines 
they're, they're really not that congruent. Sport and real life are, are, are two totally different experiences when you really think about it. Now, can you learn some things about commitment and grit and passion and want to? Absolutely. Like, yeah, there are lessons to be learned. But the real world is a real place. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, games are games. Sports are sports. And but you can you opt out of a lot like of that. Things. Go ahead. But seeing you say, Kyle, you guys on one of the episodes, the scene you said impact is neutral, doesn't care. I mean, impact doesn't care if it's positive or negative. Kyle, what you just said is so spot on because I used to be a guy that thought the game itself was enough to teach life. Mm-hmm. It's not. The game is the game in that vacuum. And without intentionality from a coach, intentional buy and getting kids to buy into the framing. For what that applies to life, it don't teach you shit, right? And I, it took me a long time to figure that out. Like, well, if we just still go through resilience when we lose, and they'll stay humble when we win. No, they won't. They'll experience the game and go home. And without intentionality and framing and contextualizing, you're, I couldn't agree more. The game's neutral. The game don't. The game's not worried about where you're headed in ten years. It hopes you. It hopes you join a city league and keep playing the game and escape your problems. Right. No, that's accurate. I mean, I, so that that neutrality piece is interesting because it leads to this idea, too, of like, and this is a question I wrote down as you all were talking, and I have several thoughts. But the question that we'll come back to um, is, why do coaches have the privilege of the benefit of the doubt? Why do they get it? Right? Why do coaches get that? But I, I want to share a story because you it's funny. You were talking about how, like, you know, if we said that the job of the coach is to create that emotional fluency and it doesn't matter like the winning part and scoring and all of that stuff like top of the pyramid stuff is whatever we would have crickets in the coaching box right we would have in that you know 12 year old flag football meeting so i remember we got a quote from uh, a solar installer you know these people that like run around your neighborhood they're like oh i got to get solar got to get solar and like so i you know ended up having one of the guys come in that had been recommended to me from another colleague he came in, gave us the quote, and he was like asking what I do for a living. And at the time, I coached college basketball for a living. And his face lit up. He's like, oh, that is so cool. And I was like, yeah, like, it's cool. Like, I listen, I'm one of however many. Like, it's a really cool thing. But it's his reason for it being cool and my reason for it being cool were totally different. He was like, oh, you just get to, like, stand out there and tell people what to do. and like you got the whistle. There's so much power in that. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's like 2% of what I do. Like the majority of what I really love to do is build relationships with our players and like create a really positive, enlightening, empowering team atmosphere where our kids feel like they can conquer the world. Right. Like that's what we want. And so he like didn't understand that part of it. He's like, oh yeah, I mean, I guess that's cool too. And I was like, that's 99% of the job. Like what you described is really cool. Like there's an inherent there there's, that's part of the reason we get into it. Right. I don't think any of us can sit here and fool ourselves and say we didn't or don't enjoy that part of it too, where we do. Yes, we do get to tell people what to do. And we do get to have these grand experiments that we call practice. And like, if you treat it that way, sure. Like you have a really, that's part of emotional fluency too. It's part of understanding your emotions and your self-awareness of how your actions affect other people and all of that stuff. 
that's a really hard conversation to have in five minutes while we're talking about solar energy on my roof, right? It's not going to happen. That's what this is for. This is this this type of medium is for is having that conversation. But it also then fast forward to literally today, I'm having a call with um, a recruit and her family. And the recruit asked, she was like, what are your goals for the season? And I was like, honestly, I don't really care whether we hang a banner or not. Like every team starts with this intention of we want to win a championship. Like that's the end goal for me. If I can just have our players demonstrate a consistent sense of urgency and we can develop consistent positive habits with how we relate to each other, mission accomplished for year one. That's all I really care about. Because if we do those things, then we are going to win games. And we will win games not just this season, but next season. And so on and so forth. Like when that kid's here, right? When she comes next season. And so I think like in that way, Kyle, to your point, when we think about people like Trent Dilfer, we think about Tom Izzo and Fran McCaffrey and countless other men. And, and listen, women are not exempt from this. We could have a whole nother podcast episode about that piece, about especially for me having worked in women's basketball for, you know, some folks that been around some folks that just didn't really treat people well. Like that's a whole nother story. But I think that's also a Kip, you and I have talked about this of like upholding that patriarchy a little bit. Right. And I think so, not to belabor the point, but when we talk about that, there is that fear of getting fired. There is that fear of everybody's watching this right now. I won't be able to show my face in my community if I don't try everything. Try everything to do what? Try everything to do what? When you put your hands on a kid, Trent Dilfer, I'm, that's what should get you fired. When you put your hands on an official, Fran McCaffrey, that's what should get you fired. Not losing to Iowa State, right? Not losing to whoever the heck, to Maryland in the Big Ten. The competition in the game, somebody has to win, somebody has to lose. It's going to happen. Really, really good coaches. Kip, you are a really, really good coach. I've seen you work with your guys. Y'all put up 83 points a game. It's really hard to lose games. But you were overmatched with the size. It is what it is. Right? My team's lost 10 straight games in January. And you'd never know. I told that story to a recruit yesterday. You would never know that my team's lost 10 straight games in January because of the emotional fluency and the ability to influence that environment. That was what we cared about. That's why I got that job, but it's also what got me fired. And I would have rather let that like been let go because of that than been let go for putting my hands on a kid, putting my hands on an official doing something out of my character that I had to unlearn because I listen, I didn't play at a high level. I wasn't around these people. All I saw was what I saw on TV. So I thought we were supposed to hoot and holler all the time. And then mm -hmm. I just got tired of doing that. And I was like, let me try a different way. Let me lean into the leadership and character side. Let me actually do and see what happens when I do what we as coaches have said we are here to do. And to be aligned to all of that stuff that we said we like we get to, you know, as Kyle would say, like we say it to get the job. Right. Let me see what happens. 
And lo and behold, I'm able to put my players from five, seven, what, 20 was, how long ago was 2015? Eight years ago? I'm able to put my players from eight years ago on a group chat just the other day because we did one of the workouts they hated with my new team and we made a video of it. And all of them were like, I never want to do that again. Hardest thing I've ever done. Glad to see it's still going, coach. Miss you. Right? That's mission accomplished. And we talk about this, like that 20-year thing, right? We want 20 years from now, we want to be able, yeah, well, okay, we did it. And I didn't have to be an asshole to those kids to get to that same conclusion. How many of those kids respond to that group text if I was a jerk to them and said, see, look, I'm making them suffer as much as I made you suffer, and they're going to be better for it than you are, right? Like that's, it's so asinine that we allow ourselves, especially as men who are supposed to be influencing the next generation to be better than our current generation. Though it's just not happening in most cases. That, and I'm going to get upset about it now, but back to you guys. You take it, take it away. So the question, anyway, the question that I let off with, why do coaches have the privilege of the benefit of the doubt? Well, okay, I'll do, let me give you what the first answer you're going to hear and, and we can all debunk it. Well, it's my livelihood. My paycheck depends on the wins. Okay. That applies. I, I, I love how you said sports and real world, separate things. But in this case, right, if my wife goes as a teacher and she behaves this way, she could lose her livelihood. Mm-hmm. If I'm not, if I'm just an employee at Microsoft and I behave this way to someone, I could lose my livelihood. So if that's not enough of an excuse. And in the context of the coaching that we're talking about, Division One. This is not the same as someone who's on welfare with kids somewhere in temporary housing, losing their livelihood. Your livelihood of getting fired, even me, when I got fired from Division Three, I got a severance package. So that's not an excuse that flies with me because you're not unique, that the only person required to win is you in the world. So that gives you free reign to do whatever. And Asim, you said something that coaches have to come to grips with. You said, well, we, we got to try everything. Well, my guy, you haven't tried A through X yet. You mm-hmm. haven't tried calling up. You haven't tried loving them. You haven't tried authentic connection. You went right from failed execution to blunt rage. You haven't tried everything. I, one thing that drives me insane, and then Kyle, I'll, I'll shut up. Oh, man, I do anything for my guys. I do anything for a dub. Anything except embracing my flaws and figuring out how to drop some of them and improve at some of them. If it requires me to learn emotional fluency, I'm out. But I'm more than willing to berate someone, and that will fall under I do anything. Horseshit. You only do something that you think is the, the singular focused answer. Yeah, they've, they've tried doing what they're willing to try. They haven't done everything. They've tried what, they're, uh, what they think that they know or what, they're, what they feel like is within their realm of possibility. But they're not really thinking outside the box. Thinking outside the box is like, oh, we're going to go from zone to man after two passes, and that's going to trip everybody out, and it'll work for a quarter, and then the other coach will figure it out and we'll still get beat, and then we're going to yell at them because it did work, right? Well, it worked the other day. You guys aren't doing it enough now, so now I'm going to – that gives me license to yell at you. And, again, I I think at the end of the day, everything that we're talking about comes back to our – ability to just tell on ourselves left and right 
external formulas versus internal voice. This constant tug of war between how I really feel about myself and the job I'm doing versus how everybody else views me and how that that pushes me. So if and we mentioned earlier, like everybody has an opinion and everybody is entitled to that opinion. But especially in today's world with with social media, that opinion gets spread around really fast all of a sudden. And most people's opinions are uninformed on certain things. But at this, as, as much as they may be uninformed, there's also this sense of entitlement that their opinion should be validated for some reason. And it's not just that you have an opinion. It's that I have to not only accept your opinion, but I got to actually do something about it. And so there's this massive level of like entitlement to just existing that we all have to sort of accept, which is not sustainable in a lot of ways. But just because you have an opinion doesn't mean that that should affect who I am and what I think and what I believe. And so if I'm going to get mad in game because you, my player, cost us the W, ultimately what you're saying is is that you're an external locus of control guy, right? But what do we talk about in practice every day? What's on our wall? What's on our culture wall? What's in our our handbook. We're internal locus guys. We we don't let the, the the noise affect us. We don't let what's going on outside these walls dictate how we practice and what but it obviously does. Because if you if you're that worried about losing your job because of the W's, then you're clearly worried about things that are going on outside those walls. And you're not locked in away from the noise. You are checking the message boards. You are getting on social media. You are afraid to go to the event on campus across town because of what somebody might say after you get beat. But when you win, we can't wait to go to the the faculty staff PD or the lunch or whatever. Like we can't wait to get around all of those those people because we want to walk around it because we're we are getting we are then getting our validation from all of these external factors. Whether we win or whether we lose. And when I have to snap at you for not executing my plan, ultimately what I'm doing is I'm blaming someone else. And again, that's just another layer of like us telling on ourselves and really exposing how weak we are when it quote unquote matters the most. And it's it, that that has been the most eye-opening thing through all of the conversations that Asim and I have with each other on this on this podcast and through text and phone and, and whatnot is the exposure of how little we actually know about ourselves, how little we actually know about the people around us, and how little we know about what it is we're doing on a day-to-day basis. And then we say that we want to get better and we say we want to improve. And then when you're given that that time over summer or your off season to shamelessly plug a new EC Rocket Chat Twitter series on Monday night at 8 Eastern about summer slides and the gaps that we're realizing now in October of what we should have accomplished in May, June, July, and August, where are our deficiencies? You had that opportunity. We've all got the same number of days, seconds, time, whatever. It's about how you prioritize it. It's the same bullcrap coach speak we would tell our, our kids. 
But yet when we were faced with an opportunity to go, quote unquote, get better at something, what did you focus on? And it was all these things that are largely determined by your view of these external formulas. It's not the stuff that, quote unquote, matters the most. I, you know what I was thinking? You talk about coach speak. You know how all of us in our programs, we have verbiage, right? Like you guys call this that. Like this is DHOs here or this is an ice, this is a down. And we would let kids have it if they couldn't speak the language, if they were not fluent in us, correct? But we, and I was this guy, are unable to name a range of emotions. Because like Trent Dilfer, when he explodes he's not just experiencing rage. Like he's unable to let his, I think people hear us in this and are like, well, you guys just don't want to win. You guys just want to say kids can get away with whatever. And you want, no, 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 no. There's ways to call people up to improve themselves, but it takes fluency in what you're actually feeling. Like, listen, I'm disappointed that I don't feel like you're grasping yet where we're at. Or like, you think about it, you ask young men today, you ask coaches, coach, how you doing? You either get a cliche, right? Or you get good, terrible. When we know the emotional spectrum has a multitude of different things you could be experiencing. Sometimes after a win, you feel just relief, but we can't say that. We feel, we feel, all we can say is cool or good. Sometimes I'm hurt. Sometimes I'm shocked after a win. I mean, after a loss. Can we say that? Like, can you name these things? And I think then we go out into the world with the same lack of fluency to name all the different places we're at. Then we act to the extremes. So now I'm euphoria drunk guy or I'm rage drunk guy because I cannot get, I cannot express or speak to these things. And these coaches are just doubling down on it. And like you said, Kyle, with the with the excuse of, well, I got to win or I'm fired. I, I couldn't co-sign more. Like I tell people all the time, I would not go back. I would go back and flip my record, which is atrocious. For the so I could give my young men that sacrifice so much for me the joy of the W, but I won't do it if it also requires me to not learn the lessons in humility I did. Right. And I don't know if enough coaches like I've never had a losing record, always been 500. And that doesn't lend us to unlearning or unpacking because we're so terrified of what might be on the other side of that door when really, yo, man, I finished butt naked last. I'm not afraid anymore of shit happened how I did it. And I, so I, I think there's a lot of that fear that, that speaks to some of this as well. But you, your, your guy, Kershaw, right? Has a 162 ERA in the postseason this year. He right? sure does. He sure does. Third, third of an inning. Six third of an inning. You know, it's death taxes and Kershaw in October, right? But the quote I saw from him the other day was, I would rather fail at the biggest stage than not get here at all. And to me, like, that's a dude who knows himself. Put oh, me on the uh, biggest. Yes. Most of the people would, wouldn't even want to touch the biggest stage. And they can't get I, there. But he's willing to go out there and fail over and over and over again at the biggest stage. And, and I'm willing to take the heat and the clutch gene and all these things. Because, again, we could go back and look at a, a number of factors that probably led to all of those, like, unfortunate starts for him. The Bills, right? Mm -hmm. Four years in a row, couldn't win the Super Bowl. Yep. Dan Marino, and that was one of our um, would-you-rathers. To me, I want to learn from somebody like that who's yeah. got that internal sense of self of like, no, I can go out there and handle the failure. 
over and over and over again at the biggest stage when I'm most exposed and let me have that. And then the other thing that I saw this weekend, and we don't know what's going on, right? But the Steelers won um, on that last second play from Pickett or last drive. And everybody's hating on Matt Canada and yada, yada, yada. And there's the clip of him in the booth when they scored the game winning touchdown and he shows no emotion. And everybody is dogging this guy Uh because they're saying like, oh, well, Kenny Pickett called an audible. It wasn't his play and he's mad at him or whatever. But we are expecting him to go crazy. Yep. When in reality, most likely, and we don't know, we won't ever really know. But most likely that guy was just calm, cool, collect, like whether we score or whether we don't. The Jay Wright, you know, national championship, Villanova, they hit the Carolina. Yes. He won. But we we want to see that elation. And if they if we don't give you that, we think something's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. But when mm-hmm. we go Trent Dilfer, we think nothing's wrong with you. Yes. Because that's what's supposed to happen. So good. That's I mean, I, I give Dak credit for how poorly he played. But Dak said two words that you don't hear a lot. He said humbling and shocked. Like admitting like, whoa. I did not like who who would say that these coaches McCarthy double down on coach speak starts with me. We got to go back to our process. Right. I mean, I would love for somebody there. could We could start a whole YouTube channel on here's the rage moment. Here's the outburst. And here's the very next possession. Nothing changed. Or here's the explosion. Here's the next snap for that player that took the berating. Nothing changed. Where's the scientific study that if I yell at you more, and, and I think kids are trained now. We got, you guys can speak to this. I think kids are trained to say, well, I'm coachable. I love to get it. Because if you don't, you're less of a man. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I, I would love a kid to be like, oh, coach, like, yeah, that sucked. You're a dick. Like your guys did. You're a mm-hmm. dick. That sucks. That's fine. That's awesome. We got to be able to name our boundaries. Well, I, it's so funny. When I first took over this job and I was having these conversations with our kids, they're like, yeah, like, you know, you can coach me hard. And even when I was at Brandeis, I'm sure you dealt with the same thing at, at Willamette, Kip recruiting at Willamette. Like, you can coach me hard. And it's like, I don't need to. I don't want to. Like, what does that even mean? I don't, I have no interest in that. Like, that's not something that ever has entered my mind that I need to be a jerk to you to get the point across. And I even had one of my players, um, you know, who was looking at a different at a school or whatever and i was sort of relaying some of the messages from that particular school about this player and like kind of the environment that they have at that school and i was like hey you know like they they aren't like me they will cuss you out if they have to and like they that those are the types of people like it's and it's not right or wrong it's just that's how they operate there and she was like, well, I've played for XYZ coach before that we all know, like, I'll be fine. And I was like, God, what a sad state of affairs that you'll be fine because you've had to be resigned to the fact that your humanity has been questioned and that you're just going to be okay with that for the next four years right. of your life. Yeah, she has survival skills for like, she has a skill set to handle the callousness. And we talk and about like kids these days. Her. Yeah, like we talk about kids these days, quote unquote, not being resilient. 
you know, and then it's like, I was in a meeting the other day about like generations, like this generation, basically talking about my generation. I mean, we're, we're elder millennials, right? Like you, myself, Kyle, we're the elder millennials. Like these, you know, these quote unquote millennials and Gen Z's don't stay in jobs long enough and they're not loyal to their companies and they don't stay in schools and they like switch jobs after a few years or a few months or whatever. It's like, yeah, well, why, why wouldn't you? Right. If that's what we have been exposed to and you think and this sort of ties it all back together, I'm going to throw it to, to Kip for, for you to close this out here. But this sort of ties back to the entire Dilfer incident to begin with. He wasn't berating his players. And we haven't even talked about this part. He was berating his staff. Multiple assistants that he hired. Why wouldn't you switch jobs? <laughs> why wouldn't you leave that toxic situation are we that far gone that we still will claim loyalty to our abuser in a professional setting in which abuse is something that largely has been codified out of it but because it's sport we allow it to happen and so i know we're running up on time here i'll throw it back to you guys for 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 closing thoughts and as we always say, we do need to do a part two about this because there's far more that we can discuss. But Kyle, I'll throw it to you, and then Kyle, you throw it to Kip, and then we'll we'll get out of here. Yeah, the the other thing that I talking about like sport and life that I had I wrote down here. I, I've been fortunate to run into a number of former students recently that have grown up, gone to college, some are married, some even having kids now, which kind of hurts my soul a little bit, but. Most are, you know, they're, they're getting their first grown up job and, you know, we catch up. What are you doing these days? And the funny thing to me is from the, the sport or even like the classroom is none of them have yet, none of them have yet to mention that the thing they remember most about time in class was the objective on the board. It was not the EOC prep that we did. It was not that they passed this test by this or that. It wasn't, you know, this particular win or this particular drill or this particular film session or anything like that at the top. The, the, the constant theme, and I may run into somebody tomorrow and it'd be different, but they would be outnumbered. The constant theme has been the thing I remember the most is that I felt like I could walk in the room. I felt like I belonged. I felt safe and I felt like I could try stuff. And if I screwed up, nobody was going to crucify me over it and I was going to be able to try again. And at the end of that process, albeit lengthy and frustrating and not always fun, I'm better off now because of those things. It had nothing to do with the stuff that we tend to prop up, especially from like an education, you know, get on my education soapbox. That that could be our part too. Um and, and and railing on some of those things. But it has always been about allowing them to find themselves as a person. And in doing so, that is what has carried them through their quote unquote life, their real world. The game itself, like you said earlier, Kip, like the game doesn't care where you are in 10 years. You likely won't even have an association with the game. 
in 10 years. Most people don't. And even somebody who coached, like, I'm out of it now, right? That's not going to be what sustains you. So if we are going to sit here and espouse to be these men or these coaches who want to teach life, then we really should be holding ourselves accountable, not, not just personally, but we need to be holding ourselves accountable as a community. We need to be holding ourselves accountable as colleagues, as a profession, to actually doing the things that we say to get these jobs and not just say them to get the job, but say them to actually keep the job and be the be the person that we said we were actually going to be. How do we do that? That's so good. It had me thinking in wrapping up the lowest moments that I can remember. And like I said, everyone Google me. I'm not afraid of my record. I'm a connoisseur in failure and getting back up and going again. The lowest moments are not the ass kickings. The lowest moments are how I made a player feel at my lowest. And I can name, there's probably three or four of them listening now. They're like, coach, I know what you're talking about. That was me you lost control with. And those to this day give me a pit in my stomach because I know I was wrong and I know I was projecting myself, my internal ego and the blows it was taken on the scoreboard onto a 19-year-old kid. And for coaches out there, that those are hard to sleep with. The best moments, Kyle, like you just mentioned, I was just at, after I got fired, a month after I got fired, I got invited to one of my players' weddings. And it seemed like I told you this story. I got invited to one of my former players, you know, over 15 years. I can't remember the class he was in, like the year. But I went, me and my assistant, longtime assistant, and there was nine of my guys in that wedding party. And that was like, goddamn, not one of them, Kyle, came up to me with the hugs and the shared beverages and moms and dads. Not one of them said, Coach, I really appreciate that uh, five-on-o we did. That was super <laughs> awesome. Remember when we ran Georgetown? Remember when you gave me, I got 6.2 points. Not one of those kids said that. Star if passing. All the, right? Not <laughs> one of them reflected. Coach, you were probably the best designer of press break that I've ever. Not one of them. Every single one of our conversations were rooted in love. We're rooted in connection. We're rooted in who they are now. Not because they're copies of me. God, I hope they're better than me. But because just like you said, they felt in, you know what, Coach, was cool. We could have this in your program. We could have this connection between the nine of us, and we got reps in. How do I maintain a relationship with a fellow man in life? We got reps in that. That's what we remember, man. And so I think when we – I just gave this speech in my old high school. I said, I do not remember, and I do not want a time machine. I was given teams of men for the football team. I do not want a time machine to go back to the championship moment of the gun going off when we won the state title way back in the old days. I do not want that moment. I want the whole week leading up because I want to be in the cars again with my dudes. I want to be in the team rooms again with my guys. I want to be on the bus going to the stadium with my guys. I want the moments. But I think so often as coaches, we associate, and as men, we associate the conquered end and the gift of at the end of that, that we miss life that is the journey. And that's, you know, in talking about coaching, I don't, I don't, I don't know yet. I haven't been through a year. This is my first year not having games. I don't know if I'll miss the games. I miss my guys. I miss being there in August when people show up to campus. I miss the meetings when we're in the rooms together laughing and I got some terrible song on that they think is ridiculous. That's the stuff I miss. And I think the quickest way to get yourself into that where you don't have a team no more is to not do this work emotionally. 
and blow up on a sideline, blow up on a kid, blow up in the locker room. Um, and I think that all comes in exactly what you two are so good at, is figuring out why you're really doing this.